Hi, listeners. I'm Irene Barton, Executive Director of the Cobb Collaborative, and I welcome you to Mind Your Mind Speaks. This is a podcast series that brings together subject matter experts, community leaders, and local stakeholders to raise awareness, share resources, and inspire action through recorded conversations about the Cobb Collaborative's focus areas. Today, we are delighted to welcome Allie Neal to our program. Allie is the co-founder of Revved Up Kids and has been an active member of the Cobb Collaborative for several years. In fact, I think she was one of the very first people that I met when I joined the staff of the Collaborative. But before we learn all about the great work of Revved Up Kids, let's learn a little bit about our guest. Allie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, Irene, and thank you so much for having me. Um, I imagine that I'm like a lot of nonprofit founders that I just prefer to talk about the nonprofit and not talk about myself, but I'll give you the little short synopsis. I met my husband here in Atlanta in 1987. We were on the same Alta tennis team, mixed doubles. So it was a love match and we've been <laughs> married to, uh, married for 33 years. We have two young adult children. So we are in a very great stage of life, having been there, done that with raising kids. And we have poured our heart and soul into Revved Up Kids for the past uh, 13 years. So, wow. Um, yeah, it's it's our baby now, um, now that yeah. our big babies are out of the house. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and I liked the pun on the love, love with the Alpha <laughs> team. Very, uh, very well done, Allie. <laughs> so, well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, so we've talked about it. Now let's learn more about Revved Up Kids. Can you share with us, well, you've already said it was established about 13 years ago, but what are your primary programs and services? And maybe before you get into that, what led you and your husband to establish Revved Up Kids? So clear call from God during a transition period of our lives where my husband had been at the same company for 26 years and they went through a merger and he lost his job. And my prayer was, okay, God, what is your plan? And the plan was revved up kids. So it came out of the blue and we have been full steam ahead, daily walk of faith ever since that day in spring of 2009 when I received this, what I call a revelation, which is why it's named Revved Up Kids. And oh. I, find, um, I find I've had so many conversations with other founders of nonprofits that are addressing specific issues. And some of them, it's about a personal connection to the issue. And others, it is God called me to this work. So for me, I did not have any history of sexual abuse in my family that I knew of at the time. I, I didn't know anything really about the issue. And it was just a clear call from God to go and do. And it was it was filling a need because there are a number of really strong, great organizations here in the Atlanta area who are doing rescue and restoration services for victims, mm -hmm. but nobody's really fully focused on prevention. And so that's what we were called to do. We 100% are focused on preventing sexual abuse and exploitation and trafficking. 
And that upstream approach is often overlooked, not to say that the investment and the support is not needed all along the spectrum, but I do like the fact that you are focused on that upstream um, uh, work um, to hopefully um, um, prevent this happening to other young people, um, young adults, youth and teens. So let's learn a little bit about the impact of that upstream approach, Allie. Can you share with us? Um, I don't know if you want to take it over the last year or on a total basis, the number of people that Revved Up Kids have served in your, your programming. Yes, we will actually be training our 45,000th child this month. Wow. And those trainings have been almost exclusively in person in small groups all across metro Atlanta. So it's it's been a long road. 45,000 sounds like a lot and then you think about the number of children in Atlanta and you realize wow, there's a lot more good work to do. And and you mentioned the upstream approach. I think you would agree with me that people tend to put a lot more money into fixing problems after they've happened versus trying to be proactive and prevent the problems from happening. We can train a child on average for like $25 and the cost to restore a single victim has been calculated at more than $200,000. So it seems like such a no-brainer to us that prevention training needs to be at the forefront of all we're doing in terms of sexual abuse and, and exploitation and trafficking. But I think because it's such a difficult issue, people mm -hmm. just don't want to go there. They don't want to talk to kids about it. They don't want kids to be afraid. they it, I hear so many different reasons. but mm -hmm. the, So we founded in August of 2010. And at that time, we had a single training program for young children, like elementary school age children and their parents. And since that time, we have developed and added a number of new training programs where we are now around 20 different programs and formats that we have available. And we're training young children, we're training parents, we're training teenagers, we're training college-age young women, we're training youth-serving organizations, the whole gamut. And we're focused not only on real-life safety, but online safety, which 13 years ago when we started this, wasn't as much of a thing and mm -hmm. now it's it's the point of the spear is, uh, is is our kids online safety so we are very honed in on that and on how do parents protect children and how do children become equipped to protect themselves and to know mm -hmm. what to look for so so many um points that you brought up Allie just I'm going to circle back to a couple one is 
the fact that this is a difficult topic to discuss. And so many people kind of take that ostrich in the sand approach. Well, if we don't talk about it, then it won't happen. Or it must not have happened because my child has never said anything. And that sadly is just the wrong way to approach it. Correct? Agree. Agree. I I wholeheartedly believe, and, and the numbers bear this out, more than one in 10 children, CDC numbers, one in four girls, one in 13 boys are going to be sexually abused before they turn 18. So we have to be talking about this with our kids, and we need to start from a very young age. And that's really what we're about, is how do we make this a more comfortable, easy, ongoing dialogue within families. And our training is designed to help open that conversation. And then we layer in resources and other things after the training that will help the parents continue that conversation. Because honestly, Irene, if a child doesn't ever hear anything about sexual abuse, then if they are victimized, the only story they're hearing is what the abuser wants them to hear. And that mm. is not the right story. No. We need them to hear the right side of this, which is, hey, this is not right. This is not okay. You need to tell a trusted adult if anybody tries to do any of this to you. And that's really what we're doing. And we're doing it in a way that's incredibly age appropriate. It's it's fun for the kids. We roll in a self-defense component, which we know that's not going to work in every scenario. But wow, it's so empowering for these children to know that they are allowed to do what they can to escape a situation physically if they are being assaulted. So mm -hmm. absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the uh, stats. You know, I teach uh, mandated reporting and darkness to light, and that one in 10 um, statistic is referenced in both of those, but everybody agrees, sadly, that the reality is much higher. And thank you. I Sadly, I did not realize that the number for girls was as dramatic as it is. That's 25%. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is I have to admit, I did not realize you had so many formats um, for this up to 20. So you really can, uh, I want to say customize it. You've already done that, but you can really meet people where they are, depending upon the audience, the age, the um, group, whether it's a out of school program, in school program, that sort of thing. Right and what they want to focus on. So we do tailor mm -hmm. it. Um, we have, obviously, we have at times cultural or religious barriers to mm -hmm. certain conversations. And so we're sensitive to that. We want to be able to provide the training with integrity so that we're not diluting it, but also being sensitive to certain groups who prefer that some language isn't used or prefer mm -hmm. that we be talk about things differently or, or, you know, so, um, and we're offering training in person mainly, but we mm -hmm. also do live trainings on zoom that started in COVID, just like so many of us. Right. And we also have, uh, four different video on demand training formats that people can just go on our website and just download it and learn it. And those are great too. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about actually empowering children and equipping them with the words and the right narrative about their bodies, I have heard you share a story about a young person who left one of your trainings, who participated in a workshop, and then was able to better protect I want to say it was a girl um, herself because she finally had the right words to use. And I know that's just one example of many that you have, but that really made an impact on me when you share that at one of our children and family strategy team meeting. Can you, you don't have to use that example. You can use another one, Allie, but can you bring it down to that real personal level for us? No, I think, um, I, I, I'll share a story of a girl that we didn't train because I, I think it's one of my most powerful sort of guiding stars. And I was with her and her mother and her mother saw something that I had that said revved up kids on it and asked me what revved up kids was. And I said, well, here's what we do. And then the mother pointed to her daughter. Her daughter was 11 at the time and said, oh, she was sexually abused when she was seven. And Hmm. so of course I say to this, this 11 year old, I'm so sorry that happened to you. How are you doing? And then she proceeds to tell me the whole story. And the story was that she was sexually abused by her older brother's friend. And he told her that if she told anybody, he was going to kill her whole family. So two very typical things. A- the access, the older brother's mm-hmm. friend, right? B, the scaring this child into silence. So then this child has no frame of reference because nobody's ever talked to her about this. All she knows is that this young man is going to kill her family. And mm-hmm. she lives with that for a year and a half. From the time she was seven to eight and a half, she's holding this horrible secret. She said, every time I saw him in the neighborhood, I thought that was the day he was coming to kill my family. Can you imagine, can you imagine a seven-year-old child living with that kind of just horrible, horrible secret and fear and angst every single day? So she finally can't do it anymore. At age eight and a half, she tells her mom, even though she's afraid. Mm -hmm. And then they get support and help and therapy and all the things that help her to be able to process it and move forward. So when I met her, she was 11 and she was doing great. And I'm sure she wasn't doing great, great, because Mm -hmm. now she's changed forever by that experience. So after she told me this whole story, I said, if somebody would have talked to you ahead of time and, and told you that there were some people out there who did really bad things to kids and then they say terrible, scary lies to make the kids keep it a secret. And if somebody would have told you that the best thing to do is tell an adult you trust what happened, would that have made a difference for you? And this little girl, and I still, this has been probably five years ago that I had this encounter with her, and I can still see her face as clear as day in that moment. And she looked me right in the eye and she said, it would have changed my life. And I thought, that's my guiding star. That is 
that is what I know to be true, that when we are able to talk with these kids, to give them the words, to give them the tools, to help them understand about these, these horrible lies, these manipulations, all of the things that abusers do to mess with the victim's head, mm-hmm. to help them understand that none of that is okay. And the best thing they can do is tell an adult they trust and help them to know how to identify trusted adults. And what if I tell my trusted adult and they don't help me? Because sadly, that happens a lot. And then it's, what am I supposed to do next? So we are rolling all of that into this training and we're really equipping these kids with the words, with the tools, so that heaven forbid, if it ever actually happens to them, they now have a frame of reference of what to do. And so, yes, we've had multiple reports from families who have participated in the training in some way, shape, or form, that we've had teenagers who have escaped assaults, sexual assaults, as a result of the training we've given them. We've had children who have disclosed sexual abuse. They they had been holding the secret, and then they took the training, and then they knew that they were supposed to tell, and now they're safe. We know that this training is important and valuable for these kids, and we're just so so proud of the work that we're doing as well you should be yeah thank you um Allie I'm gonna take our conversation in a slightly different path what's one thing that would surprise people about the world of predators and or their victims you can take both sides of that or just one What's one Can surprising I, Does thing? it have to just be one? Because I really no, have, no. <laughs> I have two, I would say I have two main things. Okay, okay. First, more than 90% of the time, your child will know their abuser. More okay. than 90% of the time. So this whole idea, and I still hear it all the time from parents, and I hear it from other adults in the community, this concept of stranger danger that was developed back in the 70s and 80s is just not a thing. Mm -hmm. Does it happen on occasion? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy for parents to talk about the guy in the white van or the guy with the lost puppy. Very easy to talk about that. It is way harder to talk about what if it's Mr. Jones next door? What Mm -hmm. if it's your coach? What if it's your uncle? So... Mm -hmm. We got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable conversation if we want to keep our children safe. So it's not about who this person is. And this is what we teach the kids. Never think about who this person is. It's about what are they saying? What are they doing? How is it making me feel? And Mm -hmm. if it's making me feel scared, nervous, threatened, I need to be getting away. Doesn't matter if it's someone I know and trust. If they're saying something or doing something that's making me scared, I need to be getting away. And then the second thing, and I think this is really important, the median age of a victim of sexual abuse is eight years old. I hear from parents all the time. Oh, I can't talk about that. They're too young. They're too young. We need to be talking about this from the time our children are learning to talk. 
Mm-hmm. And that is one of the biggest things we're doing is helping families normalize the dialogue around sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just like we would with other hazards, whether it's mm-hmm. tobacco or illegal substance, other illegal substances or exactly. um, firearms or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're exactly. Keeping you safe. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. I, I thank you for sharing those startling but real um, figures, um, stats, and what we can do um, about that. And yes, and I have I have one more. If you let oh, me, oh sure, go go right ahead. <laughs> the one more is this: we hear an awful lot about trafficking all the mm-hmm. time, and now we've got this new national blue campaign, and they're splashing ads all over the TV all the time. And we're so terrified of trafficking and sex trafficking, especially. And I honestly can't imagine a worse horror. So I'm mm-hmm. not trying to. Um, I'm not trying to make that seem less than, Mm -hmm. but the latest data shows that 84% of sex trafficking victims indicate that they were sexually abused as children. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about working upstream, we have got to be preventing sexual abuse. It is just as bad if somebody's not paying for it. Yeah, and there's, right, I mean, right. the collateral damage to the victim is still horrific and life altering, just like it would be with trafficking. Is it less violent? I'm sure at times it's less violent, mm-hmm. but it's still the, the trauma to the brain, the trauma to the body is very, very real. And it is the precursor for sex trafficking in the vast majority of cases. cases yeah. You can totally see um, when you understand what trauma does to the physio- physiological development of a child and how that they could be led into um, making choices or having that choice be made for them, sadly. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Ooh. Well, Allie, you've talked about how uh, Revved Up Kids has um changed a little bit since or changed a lot (laughs) since the founding in terms of the programming and what you offer how online victimization wasn't nearly um, as prevalent back at the founding as it is now so you've done so much to adapt are there still things out there what does the future hold for revved up kids So one of the things that we're working on is scalability. We're great at private groups. We're Mm -hmm. great at small groups of kids. We need to be able to reach large numbers of kids in order to, you know, equip, equip more kids. Really, that's Mm -hmm. our goal. So we're working on how can we scale the training that we have to be better at reaching large groups of kids in an affordable way. And we have a program for online safety for fifth to eighth graders. And that's our that's our first one that we're transitioning into a turnkey format that'll be available mm-hmm. to schools and after school programs and youth serving environments. So we're we're hopeful that that's going to be the first step to really getting this um, getting this to more kids. Wonderful. 
-hmm. Well, how can people find out more about Revved Up Kids if they want to bring a your program to a group of youth that they're working with, or if they just want to find out more, how would they do that? So youth or parents or adults, um, I, I, I don't want to take away from the fact that we have parent trainings. And a lot of times, parents especially are a little bit fearful of this topic. So if they can attend a parent seminar and learn, they are more receptive to then offering training to their kids or enrolling their kids in training. So uh, revedupkids.org, obviously, <laughs> we have a okay. programs page that lists all of the programs that we offer. And like I said, we primarily are training private groups. So we will come to your church. We will come to your school. We will come to your PTA. We'll come to your neighborhood HOA, your scout troop, any group that wants us to come, we will figure mm -hmm. out a way to come. And we also have some public training relationships, and we're working now to expand those to different parts of town. But we've got some very good relationships with several police agencies here in town, where if you don't have a group, you can enroll your child to take the training at one of the local police agencies that we're partnered with. And those are always listed on our events calendar on our website. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. And you said it. And I I know your your passion. You do want to make this as accessible as possible to people. So sometimes you're able to provide scholarships. Sometimes um, an organization can go out into the community and find a partner to help. Sometimes an organization can self fund, but you work with each group to to figure out how to bring this really incredible and vital training to the cohort. Absolutely. And through the collaborative, there are so many nonprofits who are serving children and youth in economically disadvantaged parts of town. Mm -hmm. And we work really hard to raise grant funds to allow us to provide that training at no charge. We never want tuition to be a barrier if we can help it. So we we do work hard to to do what we can to ensure that all children have access to the training. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Well, Ellie, as our time together draws to a close, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would like to share? I mean, nonprofits always need money. So you know that, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> slash donate. And then we also have several awesome fundraisers every year that people can find on our website as well. So, okay. All right. So <laughs> check out the website. We'll drop that in the show notes. And I believe you do have a couple um, come to mind of really fun events that you do. And it's for the we entire do. community, right? So. Yeah. So we do, uh, we do a talent competition in October every year and we do a, a um, St. Patrick's Day casino party gala, all adults in March of every year. So yeah. Oh, fun. All right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Allie Neal, thank you so much for joining us, for getting me up to speed on the latest and greatest that's happening with Revved Up Kids. And most importantly, thank you for what you and your husband do each and every day to keep so many children safe and protected and allow them to thrive and lead a life of self-determination. That's what we want for all of them, right? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Irene. A pleasure. And listeners, thank you for tuning in today. To be sure that you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to our Mind Your Mind podcast. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that others can find us. Tune in next time as we continue to empower and engage our community through conversations about important and critical issues that we are all dealing with. Until next time, please stay well, be kind, and remember there is no health without mental health.